Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Welcome, kitties. Make yourself at home. I have Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 107, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad comes to you now via non-equilibrium matter-state time crystal. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Yes, Matt, we would be remiss if not acknowledging Anthony Rapp, who of course plays Lieutenant Paul Stamets, uh, who spoke to BuzzFeed, and uh, the story has since come out that uh, when he was 14 years old, um, was pressured by fellow actor Kevin Spacey. Um, he's since taken to Twitter, Matt, and I'm going to read his tweets here, Anthony Rapp. I came forward with my story standing on the shoulders of the many courageous women and men who have been speaking out to shine a light and hopefully make a difference as they have done for me. Everything I wanted to say about my experience is in that article and I have no further comment about it at this time. And this from a guy who has been beyond generous since his inclusion in the cast of Star Trek Discovery on social media so that being out there and you know not trying to begin what is remarkably a lighthearted episode on a down note but simply want to acknowledge the the real world intruding in uh with one of these actors and the cast as a whole and i think to acknowledge to the strength that it takes to speak up uh, you know, uh, there was a comment online last night, and and pardon me for not uh, not having the name of the person who said it, but uh, the statement "any time is a is a good time is the right time to speak up about abuses such as this." You know, I think that we as Star Trek fans, you know, it, it's not an issue that it was male male. It's just this gross, awful uh, difference in power. Obviously, difference in age. Any kind of, uh, you know, personal, emotional, physical interaction has to be safe and consensual. And obviously with a child of 14 years old, consent is, is out the window for any, uh, for any rational person. So obviously such a, such a disgusting and a negative uh, situation at the genesis of it. But again, to me, you can kind of look at Anthony Rapp as being so strong to have spoken up. And again, it is always the right time to speak up about abuse. And certainly our thoughts are with him and his family and friends in a, in a time where he's reliving this. With that, on to our mission briefing. We pick up Matt with the personal log of specialist Michael Burnham, who still doesn't have a, a Starfleet uh, badge. She might need to leave us a review on iTunes so that uh, she can win one at this point. The star date, uh, 2136.8. And she's talking about how she's settled in uh, despite her fears to the contrary. Uh, and there's an air of routine on the discovery and I think a pretty good use of footage from previous episodes 
that plays behind most of this sequence. We are at such an interesting point in television, uh, particularly this weekend. So many people watching Stranger Things binge style. It always slightly surprises me when an episode opens with a previously on. Uh, I don't think it's any sort of egregious foul. It's not some sort of uh, platinum age of TV wrong. That we have in this first act, though, kind of also some recap. You know, she's officially friends with Tilly. She does work in the labs. Burnham does. The discovery is a key weapon. Because of the ship, there are key difference in the war. On the one hand, it was like, all right, we're seven episodes in. We don't need kind of catch-me-up type stuff in addition to previously on. Uh, but somehow it works here because it, if nothing else, it's uh, it's almost the rare time where a personal log or a captain's log or whatever it might be um, is doing more than narration. It really is an opportunity for the character to be looking back and assessing her personal situation. This in an episode I would be remiss to not mention uh, that does not have a teaser act and uh, is the, the script is written by Aaron Eli Coletti and Jesse Alexander and directed by uh, Star Trek veteran David M. Barrett. Some of the new footage amidst this montage shows uh, hippie Stamets tapping out music while uh, Burnham and Tilly are in engineering. In addition to uh, some of the other shots that we're familiar with, uh, but all heading into one specific situation that that really overarches in this episode and that is the party in the mess hall indeed pete the the emotionally withdrawn as she oft is burnham uh, a, a little fearful things are getting worse because there's uh there's a party tonight pete it's a party uh, even spoiler free matt had a little sense that there was going to be some of the hipping the hopping and the ponging I Punging? was just going to say, uh, Matt, we will talk about it in our theory segment, but I, is this Gene's Trek? Oh, man. Well, okay. Is Gene's Trek one that used uh, modern hip hop? <laughs> uh, no, I will grant you that. Is Gene's it didn't Trek, exist. <laughs> is Gene's Trek, you know, I mean, I think back, I think it's a third season episode, but where there's like the space hippies that are, yes. what is it? It's not Melvin. There's a word. They keep, Nelson, they keep calling him. You know, it's like a square. Look, was it slightly jarring? Wait, Star Trek is doing this. And later on, it's like the, uh, the Stayin' Alive remix. Mm -hmm. How about, first of all, is it jarring? Yes. Why is it jarring? Because they're taking away our Star Trek. It serves a story function. It is yeah. jarring where you go, I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah, we're gonna re we will return to this scene 15 times, 10 times. So it's supposed to catch our attention plus not for nothing you know uhura singing back in the first or second season of classic trek was lovely everyone loves nichelle nichols all right we can update things a little bit furthermore you tell me the crazy kids back in not back but in the 23rd century they won't like classic classic rock or classic classic hip-hop all the way back to late 20th century early 21st century i mean come on it has a beat and you can dance to it it works for me pete well, Wyclef John's We Trying to Stay Alive, that, of course, the uh, remix of Staying Alive, certainly an apt choice for this party, uh, which ultimately sees Tyler 
uh, further taking a, a leadership role, addressing the uh, attendees about the now 10,000 dead Matt, which might have been a little bit of a buzzkill for the one girl in the room he's trying to be with. Uh, we see a dude in, in, in what can only be described as a space wheelchair. And uh, even Kayla Detmer, who uh, has cybernetic things on her face as a result of uh, Burnham's actions and, and the kickoff of the Klingon war are all there before uh, both Burnham and Tyler get paged to the bridge. As we are two weeks out from Veterans Day, it certainly is a nice reminder that, you know, the, the show is able to play fast and loose with, you know, war, the adventure of war. And there, you know, there are many losses sometimes, including nameless people who one day will wear red shirts. But it, it's nice, and, which I'm not complaining about. I mean, this is action adventure, sometimes kind of reflective sci-fi. Um, they don't need, this doesn't need to be saving private Ryan, the Star Trek years, but nonetheless, it's nice to say, Hey, amidst all this swashbuckling adventure, there are real losses for them, just as there are real losses in our world. Uh, and Pete, just when things feel like they might get a little too animal house, the lights flicker and, uh, Burnham notes that, uh, power fluctuations like that shouldn't happen. And peaking is speaking of things that shouldn't happen or maybe should happen. Tilly uh, Pete, a little, uh, a little relaxed here from the the alcohol pushing Burnham and Tyler together. What's their deal? Is he like her other boyfriends? And I love Pete that in a show that is that is so meticulously written with these you know loops and and different angles and you know this must have been a, a heck of a script to digest. They don't overwrite Burnham's response. We yeah. can tell. Well, of course, she's not the dating type back on Vulcan. She's not blushing and saying, hey, can we hold hands and go, you know, go park, that sort of thing. Burnham is so quick to just flip it around back to Tilly. Well, what are your old boyfriends like? So <laughs> tell us, Pete, Tilly, who's so meek, so mild. Uh, tell us what her old boyfriends are like. Well, she had a soldier phase, uh, which she's back into after the musician phase, given uh, Tyler's heroics here at the party. But I think that Burnham's response dovetails so well with the secret that she tells Stamets later in the episode that she's never been in love. Of course, she deflects the question. That's true Vulcan martial arts right there. I like, too, that we have, honestly, our, our preconceived notions of Tilly being being a shrinking violet uh, just because we've seen her that way kind of in a professional setting. Let's not forget, she's at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the barrel when it comes to all these professionals. She's not an officer yet. So you can understand how she would feel like, I'm on the most advanced ship in the fleet and I'm out of my element. But that doesn't mean that personally and in romance and physicality and things of that sort, that she's also a, you know, stay at home and braid your hair kind of person. Uh, to me, it also ties in nicely to, um, to last week a little bit where it's, you know, she's in, enjoying her food. She's a healthy eater, that kind of thing. So all the more to have this week's, I love Tilly, Pete. <laughs> In the hallway on the way to the bridge, um, Burnham bumps into Stamets, who uh, in the past, Matt, pre-tardigrade infusion, might have uh, given her something really snappy to sting her. But here, 
merely wonders why she would apologize for a random act of physical interaction. Yes, and there's also this moment in his uh, you know totally expanded mindset thing where he notes that uh, Tyler is a very tall man. Side note, Pete, you know who's not a tall guy is that Vok. So let's stick a pin in that for later because I think they're doing some fancy schmancy camera stuff or whatever. Uh, Stamets also notes that Tyler is very grounded given his seven months in prison. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the script doth <laughs> protest too much as to how normal and totally human Tyler is. But here, Pete, we also get some exposition. Stamets has a cybernetic implant making his connection to the spore drive easier, which answers a question I had also from last week. On first viewing, it looked like they spore drive jumped into the nebula. In fact, there was like a vertical, like they moved down vertically. I said, well, that can't be the case. They don't have the thing anymore. Stamets got stabbed and so on and so forth. They just let that be. Last episode didn't need to be about the spore drive in any way. Here, though, nope, sure enough, he's still connecting to it when they need to. Um, I just like that there's this uh, there's this reliance on the audience to have a question from one week. And it's not, you know, oh, big explanation got cut for time. It's just, yeah, we'll explain that when we need to explain that. Until then, it's business as usual. Once they reach the bridge, uh, Saru is monitoring a unidentified signal, uh, and it becomes clear this is not a threat. They come down from yellow alert. This is instead a living thing known as a Gormagander. Indeed, and uh, the captain is ready to just pass by it now that it's not a threat. But it is pointed out to him that protocol calls for it to be kind of snagged and transferred to a secure aquarium, space aquarium facility. Um, also, He'd face court martial if they didn't. <laughs> indeed, kind of uh, some, not exactly pulling of rank, but pulling of protocol. Uh, also, Pete, just in case you didn't understand metaphor, the Gormagander is so focused on eating alpha particles, that is to say, its primary function, that they ignore all other instincts, including mating. Hmm. And uh, of all people, Pete, who we know on this show enjoy mating, Captain Lorca is the one that seems thoroughly unamused at the prospect of giving up uh, pleasures of the flesh. Yes, but uh, Burnham draws the assignment there. She heads to the shuttle bay where uh, she's trying to figure out what's going on with the beast. Great, both special and practical effects in this sequence with the space whale being brought into the shuttle bay um, and then, uh, you know, uh, opening up its maw there when the real mayhem begins. Indeed, it is a man in a mask. He promptly kills four people before Burnham can call the bridge and get a lockdown going on. One of these days, Pete, they're going to put communicators on the uniforms, not just something you keep in your pocket. I don't know. I don't know where you would put it, how you would do it. Regardless, though, uh, the lockdown indeed is going on. Off comes the mask. No surprise to even me who couldn't avoid the most obvious of spoilers. It's Harry Mudd there to take the ship, give it to the Klingons revenge for keeping him from his beloved wife, Stella. Yeah. And he's looking forward to blowing uh, Lorca up as many times as he can before he blows us up 
and we begin our first repeat of this sequence. Given as how the story is going to, and I don't mean this critically, but how the story is going to cheapen the effects of the ship's subsequent explosions, which is to say the first time it happens, they're all dead. Then the second time it's a little less and a little less. That's just the nature of such a time loop. Uh, I like that they really kind of milk it in the beginning here. The explosion goes from decks five, decks four. You see the bridge start to shake, two, one, and then everything is is uh, absorbed. And then, as you say, Pete, we cut to the party in the mess hall. Yeah, it uh, picks up with Tyler's speech then. Uh, Tilly's soldier thing is back again uh, before Stamets catches up to Burnham and Tyler on their way to the bridge uh, to tell them, what's wrong and it becomes clear uh to them he's been there before he knows what's going on he points out that it all starts with a gormagander a space whale um and what's the likelihood that he would have known they were going to see one when they went to the bridge it's almost incalculable uh burnham points out there's only been 57 near misses in the last decade I like also speaking of how the, the the script is trusting the audience. We don't get, you know, kind of phase two or phase three here or, or version, whatever whatever the proper noun would be. Uh, Stamets saying that this has happened many times before. So a, it's kind of smart writing, and that we get to fast forward through Stamets saying, "No, it must have been a dream." And then time three, where Stamets is pretty sure it's not a dream. We get to the you know get to the good stuff here. Um, but regardless, by the time we end up in the bridge again, both Burnham and Tyler have been uh, shaken enough by this coincidence question mark of uh, mentioning the Gormagander, um, where where now they want to ignore the Endangered Species Act. Captain really doesn't care much. Burnham and Tyler both want in, you know, for science purposes and security purposes. The captain still doesn't give a hoot. Um, and I like that things are kind of flipped here, where at the end of the day, the captain really doesn't care. And if you're going to call protocol one way or the other, all right, let's just get the get the job done and get to it. And Pete, we get to the shuttle bay again. Yes, but this time as Burnham is monitoring it, she detects a faint signal, almost like a transporter beam before the ship goes to black alert. I like how quickly we are diverging from the the initial telling of the story again made possible by the fact that this is now many many iterations later uh we return to the bridge in black alert they haven't ordered it they can't talk to engineering and uh very quickly uh the captain you know getting security getting his security chief tyler in on uh, on it he's told to go to engineering and he and burnham make their way there we get Mud sitting at the console. He's monologuing. He's able to monologue because he knows, you know, the whole the whole circumstance here. He'll be out way before the ship explodes. So we get to have our cake and eat it too with muscle twir- muscle twirling, mustache twirling, uh, bad guy here because he's not about to get caught. Uh, he wants help working the system, um, and. I like that we get faster versions of his boom and I am mud uh, scene than we got from the series trailer. It's more fitting here because the pace is slowly picking up each time. He's also erected a force field, which Tyler is unable to penetrate little foreshadowing for later in the episode before 
all the monologuing leads him to getting it in the back from Stamets there to end the act. After the act break, Stamets says that we've been through this many times before. In fact, he cannot find out how to win for the home team. And with that, the ship explodes. So, Pete, cut to the party. Yes, our second complete repeat here picks up with uh, Tyler asking Burnham to dance. Uh, But Stamets catches Burnham on the way to the Gormagander episode here and gives the explanation that they are caught in a temporal loop. They're repeating the same 30-odd minutes over and over as long as the 30-minute window doesn't expire, Matt. Everything starts over anew. I like that that part of how he proves this is he kind of essentially groundhog days her by sharing her dialogue, um, you know, as she's trying to refute this. Um, the story moves again to the bridge where Lorca is called to sick bay and he takes the turbo lift, which is stopped by mud. Uh, turns out that the captain now cannot call red alert and uh, mud reveals, I think is obvious at this point that there was no call from the doctor. Mud just needs access to an off limits area of the ship. The ball is in Lorca's court. I will admit Pete, I, I didn't immediately think of, uh, Lorca's menagerie, perhaps because it's been a couple of episodes since we've been there. I like uh, how it's referred to first as his personal research area, later by Mud as his man cave. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm combining the the two when it comes to that. But having seen Tyler die right in front of him with a uh, dagger to the back um, and Mud pointing out that he can't access this one special area uh, that um, – you know, there are so many ways to blow up the ship. It almost seems like a design flaw. Uh, finally getting him to uh, commit with what he needs him to do. Back we go to Stamets and Burnham. She sounds like she's just about willing to listen, but the 30 minutes are up and they're not even to Tyler yet. Stamets asks her for a secret that will prove he knows her and she whispers it really smart moment that it is unknown to the audience at this point it's better getting burnham prime for lack of a better word i don't mean <laughs> to bring up the other universe but you know kind of kind of burnham fresh from the start of the loop it's better to have her realize that moment along with us um but whatever it is of course it is the fact that she's never been in love he says uh that he is sorry where is Mud now? That's where he, he's at the point where he usually kills the captain to end the act. We come back in Lorca's private research area man cave with his toys there. And then we have what I refer to lovingly as the Lorca murder montage. He's phased in his ready room, on the bridge, in the captain's chair, then in a particularly inspired death, waved away with a hand as Mud eats a sandwich in the chair and then beamed out into the emptiness of space where he kind of crumples looking for air, which of course is not there. How many times has this happened, Matt? 53 times, and this is a special effects tour de force. You know, there was somebody last night on Twitter before the episode started uh, who lives in the UK who said, 
oh, you know, uh, going to bed early tonight. Uh, or I guess actually it was late at that point, but it was Star Trek tomorrow. And I'm like, all oh, right, they get it on Mondays, so on and so forth. Oh, here we are still paying for it. Pete, you see the money on the screen, whether it's your Netflix money or your CBS All Access money. You didn't need to do, dear Star Trek Discovery, you didn't need to do a continuous shot where mud, we don't cut away from mud, but we see a variety of Lorcas and a variety of settings and a, is it a steady cam move? Is it a, 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 a camera on a, on a motion control track? I have no idea. This was superfluous if you're trying to count mm-hmm. your pennies, but instead it's just this incredible, incredible special effects scene that's both horrifying and funny at the same time. Almost out of time in this particular loop, he decides to try out one of Lorca's toys and kills him in a new horrifying way before we're back on our third repeat, Matt. The party flickers, Stamets uh, comes over, and I love that he doesn't mince words. He points Tilly over to the corner where he's just spotted the hottest guy over there, and apparently he's in a band. Have fun. Uh, This is when he tells Burnham that she's never been in love and explains all the particulars of the time loop. And I just love her very Vulcan-esque response that, of course, she would have given him this as a key. Therefore, since the key fits the lock, what he is saying seems very, very likely to be true because only she could know that and it all fits. Um, It is then stated that Burnham's job is to get info on Mud from Tyler. Look, here Tyler comes. Oh, and by the way, he likes you. Yes, but it does not quite work out. They're page to the bridge again. Burnham and Stamets blow off the bridge, and instead he asks her to dance with him for science. (laughs) I like that there's the intimacy Mm -hmm. in this moment of, you know, it is just dancing, but it's that first step in love and all that, first step in a connection, uh, setting up perhaps a shocking reveal about, Tyler in future episodes, but that's a separate matter. Um, but there's the urgency to slow down and to just be with each other. And there's a ticking time bomb and it doesn't make any difference because if they die, they're just going to start the loop again. But then this all will have been for naught, And it's just this wonderful, everything and nothing kind of moment. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't know, it's just so lovely. It's charming, the story he tells about the cafe on Alpha Centauri, where he first met uh, Dr. Hugh Culber. He was humming, Dr. Culber was humming Kassalian opera. Of course, Stamets told him to stifle it. That was old Stamets. Uh, And instead, he sat next to him. He's been by his side ever since. Uh, He told him how he really felt. And... Uh, They like that about one another, but they're out of time. Hey, Burnham, you'll do better next time. And the ship blows up again. We return to the party where Burnham grabs Tyler's hand with Stamets watching very quickly. They've already had the conversation in this loop again, trusting the audience. We don't need kind of, you know, a, 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 a one to two to three kind of dotted line here. They dance this time with Tyler leading. Uh, There's a pause, and she asks him about being locked up with mud. She admits that she's not good with small talk, but believes in honesty. She tells him flat out, Harry Mudd is on the way. They're caught in a time loop. And why didn't Stamets come to talk to Tyler about this? Because Burnham likes Tyler, and Tyler likes her back. 
this is all weird, Tyler says, and this won't matter. And he kisses her since that won't matter. And, and again, it's just, it's all about the honesty, Pete. It really, really is. And the information. Um, apparently, Mud bragged to Tyler while they were in stir, Matt. You know, it's just some uh, some jail terms I'll use here. Uh, then he broke into a Betazoid bank that was secure, fortified, no way in, volatile encryption, molecular locks, even daily DNA password protection. But he's good at memorizing security patterns, and it's with this exposition that we see him uh, traipsing through the ship, timing everything just perfectly. Um, but uh, with unlimited tries as we've come to realize at this point in the story, no wonder he's able to do this. Uh, and yeah, he mentioned something about a non equilibrium matter state. Uh, you mean a time crystal, Matt? Wow. That sure made it easy. Um, it is however, an unstable thing. Uh, certainly nobody in the Federation has been able to crack use of time crystals, but it must've been a non Federation race, some fourth dimensional race, uh, must have finalized the technology to make all this happen. Speaking of which, where is Mud to end the act? After the act break aboard the bridge, they wonder if the not fish is aboard yet. And suddenly, operatic music comes in over the speakers. Saru is locked out of the computer, and it's Captain Mud. Indeed, he uh, he beams Lorca to the brig. And uh, he's able to monologue even more. He has a painful dark matter device from the captain's man cave. Uh, he's about to use it on a character referred to as Random Communications Officer Man. Then Tyler comes in with Stamets and Burnham. And uh, Mud takes Tyler out with the dark matter ball. Mud just wants to know how to start Pete. Cover your ears here. The damn engine. Uh, he's ready to kill more. And Stamets at this point has had enough. He admits that he is the key, and Mud takes him to engineering. Meanwhile, Pete, Burnham is in the shuttle bay with Tilly scanning the creature. Take us through that. Tilly has detected inside the beast something's going on. They do the scan, and uh, it reveals that the crystal has the same orthogonal indices as the device on Mud's wrist, and we'll speculate a little bit about that later. Uh, but the only way to get them to take care of Mud is to uh, get him to reset time, which will conveniently, of course, bring Tyler back. But, Pete, Mud has no reason to reset time now. He's got the ship. He's got the spore drive. He needs to be made to reset it, uh, which is interesting because now the show is playing with its own form to take us out of I know we're still in the loop, but it's, you know, we're ready to exit the loop. So that's a good bit of fun. And in the uh, ready room, Mud is ready to make the deal of the millennium. Burnham arrives, asks about Stella. Oh, Stella? Oh, yes, Stella. Stella Star Trek dog? Yeah, no. everybody knows Stella Star Trek dog. Pete, not Stella Star Trek dog. The other Stella, the one that we have seen in the future of past Star Trek from the future. Oh, Stella! Yes, and I love, I mean, Rain Wilson is just so wonderful here, kind of hamming it up. He loves her such and such, the moon and the stars, you know. Uh, I think he was one more breath away from Khaleesi. I don't know. Um, but uh, but why is Burnham here? 
She offers herself as a greater prize. She can be told to the Klingons. She killed Tokovma. Why would she do this? It's for Tyler. Tyler, who's dead but not for long. With that, she downs the dark matter pill. Burnham dies, Pete. Jaw firmly set in place, not screaming. And that's enough for Mud to reset time. Yeah, it was a it was an effective death as well. Now in our fifth repeat of the original day, who knows how many times Matt really into this? What with fifty three Lorca deaths, uh, but we get a montage of all of the prep on all sides, complete with Harry Mud yawning in the turbo lift. You have to imagine that if he was fifty three half hour sequences in, he's at least gone more than a day without sleeping. Sometimes such larceny and and evil doing comes with a uh, heavy price. Um, we're back at the party again, and there's an even more urgent edit to the scene. We don't get dialogue. None is needed. Um, and as you mentioned, Mud is in the lift as uh, we have Tyler on the bridge with Stamets and Burnham making frantic changes. It's almost like they are going faster than the story can tell at this point, which is good because given as how we are so familiar with the story at this point, they do need to maintain some sort of, you know, illusion of, uh, of twists and turns ahead with that mud sneaks onto the bridge, but is welcomed with open arms. Lorca says, welcome captain mud. We're like a banner away from captain Picard day, basically. <laughs> captain mud day. Uh, they, they give up the chair here. He tells them not to try to con a con man, but, um, that uh, Lorca wants to keep the lives of his crew intact. He will give up Burnham, the ship, and Stamets. He's not looking for a repeat of the Baran. Uh, and, of course, Mud has never been one to look a gift captain in the mouth. But they're just about there, Matt. We only have 30 seconds until they rejoin the time stream. Hang on. No, wait. It's five, four, three, two, one. Uh now things matter. I have to mention, Pete, that there's the line coming off of you can't con a con man. Lorca says he's not talking to him as a con man. He's talking to him as a businessman. Legitimate businessman. <laughs> it, it, it is so interesting to have an episode focused on a con man who thinks he's a businessman who wants to get into leadership but really isn't good at any of them. But I digress. Um with the uh, the countdown having reached zero, his fancy wrist computer, uh, perhaps a, a future version of one of those uh, Casio uh, calculator watches, I don't know. <laughs> but the, the wrist computer disappears. There's your commitment to the loop is now finally over. Uh, the disco computer notes that they are being hailed by the Klingons, and he calls for the new Klingon masters to be beamed to the transporter room uh, when when mud and company arrive there he takes burn a uh, burn him and stamets leaving the captain on the bridge stamets points out that this is not about stella it's only about him uh her father stella's father uh was an arms dealer who's made a fortune but wait a minute matt he never brought up baron grimes on any of these loops how did they find that out uh, it turns out that the Klingons aren't coming. It turns out that the Baron has put a bounty to find his daughter's missing uh, betrothed. Uh, it turns out, Pete, that he is running from Stella and her father, 
And uh, it further turns out that the Baron and Stella have been called. Uh, all of this because changes were made uh, to the non-critical computer systems, you know, the ones he really should have backed up but didn't. The captain's chair in addition to the archives there. So uh, they instead sent word to Stella and in the words of Stamets, her daddy, in the transporter room, Stella comes over first and i have to say they did a fairly good facsimile of the actress from the original series playing the younger role here as stella and she seems so nice she doesn't yell at him (laughs) she i mean well remember that other one we see is a droid on the on the original series so with the worst uh traits uh magnified I think, too, that was a good bit of fun back in the day. And we don't judge classic Trek for showing robotic or not. And indeed, she is robotic. But I don't think that we judge the show in 1968 or 1969 for showing, boy, what a real you know, doozy of a wife being such a, you know, being such a loud mouth and isn't that the other. Fast forward to 2017, I don't think that that would play as favorably. No. So the, fact, the fact that we get to have her just be sweet and she just wants to be with this this nice guy who might need to have a few crooked areas straightened out, but but she just wants to to be with him. It makes him all the more villainous. In that moment, he goes from lovable rascal to he's just a rascal, and and I and I don't like him there because she seems so nice. Baron Papa is is now ready to help consolidate the debt, help him get on on his feet, and. Um, I also like that neither of them see through Mud's protestations that he has led a life marred by poor choices and debt. He wanted to fix the pox around his character. <laughs> Guess what? Solution. Just be part of this family forever. And get a sweet hat for next time we see you. But yeah, Stella seems to love him all the more, even though she calls him a naughty boy. Uh, maybe there's a deleted scene uh, coming up someplace between the two of them, Matt. Uh, but beamed over to that other ship, we've got the classic Alexander Courage fanfare for the first time during an episode, which I think is important. They say it takes seven episodes to become the show that you're going to be. And I'm really happy with where this show is after seven episodes. Some time goes by and... Burnham and Tyler meet at the turbo lift. Once upon a time, they had danced. Stamets told them both. She liked it, which Burnham can't believe, but he's a good dancer. And they go into the lift silently, uh, silently until she admits that what she's feeling is complicated. Uh, but Tyler says he isn't going anywhere, <laughs> which we'll see if that's the truth. <laughs> Tyler is sad. He's sad that they missed their first kiss. Ah, oh, it's it's a great moment as much as I think it's setting up heartbreak later on with a big Tyler reveal. It's fantastic. Completely agree. We've seen them kiss in one alternate future. They're not going to want to have ever kissed in the the most likely timeline. Uh, but we end as we began with a personal log, Matt, stressing we never really know what's coming, especially when you step out of your routine. But let's jump in and see what's next. Pete, we're picking up a threat analysis. Tell us where it's coming from. 
we begin and end, Matt, in this episode with Hardcore Fenton Mud, much more than the cursory cameo of a few episodes ago. This is full-on Rain Wilson chewing it up, and it's outstanding. It really, really is, and I feel like he understands the bravado that the character needs, the bravado that the original actor had, where it really did push going over the top. Uh, and I think you could get away with it back in in the 60s and just the type of television that was on more than you can with this attempt to be kind of hyper-real Star Trek. But he's just so good, and and they know when to let him monologue and let him be over the top. But then the flip side is he keeps it grounded most of the time. The conceit of the story with the time loop and certain versions they're going through not mattering allows him to be much more violent than we've ever known or dealt with him. But ultimately, those are all washed away by the time that uh, Stella and her father come to scoop him up. So the characters developed, but how much of that development fully sticks to the version that is taken away. And I think it's fair to say this will probably not be the last time we'll see Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd. It might be a bit until we do see him again, however. I totally agree. The notion that now he goes away until he comes back, the character in classic Trek, he's got to come back before that, whether it's this season, next season, you know what, let's do our one mud episode per season. Now that we've uh, established him in, in these two, two episodes, whatever it might be more mud, please. Pete, checking long-range sensors in this circular episode, what theories do we have ahead? It stood out a little bit, Matt, not for the reasons that the not-genes-track people were complaining, but a party of this magnitude and this attitude during a serious wartime just, you know, struck me a little funny. I would be interested to hear from any of our listeners who have military experience. You know, what's it like when you cut loose? I mean, whether it's wartime or not, um, I think at a certain point you need to break up that monotony and you need to break up that kind of omnipresent, you know, kind of awful, uh, you know, particularly in, in wartime, that kind of, you know, the loss of life and so on and so forth. Um, that you need things to break it up. I'm reminded of a, uh, I think there was a PBS series called Carrier where they were on a, uh, an aircraft carrier, you know, a, a docu-series thing. Um, and I remember that. I remember that. Uh, it, it, it was excellent. Super Carrier. Yeah, Super Carrier. Okay. And they're, they're on their way from San Diego to support uh, the, you know, the two war fronts in Iraq and Afghanistan. But there is also time to stop at ports along the way. There is also time to have a time-honored tradition of, uh, if it's the first time you've passed the equator and, and so on and so forth. So I think it's probably more true to life than not. We're just seeing the break from monotony and the break from war. Matt, how about the antennae on the helmet that Mud is initially wearing, the blue color? Is this a hijacked Andorian prop? I had not even thought of that, but it makes sense. I think that we have discussed in previous episodes how there's there's occasional mention, perhaps uh, occasional shade against the Andorians. Yes, a lot of it, yes. So 
I I love that. Uh, yeah, maybe there's a uh, gee whiz, Pete. Maybe maybe there could be a comic book prequel or a novel prequel or a web only <laughs> Rain Wilson Mud the early years prequel um, Mud Slingshot. I don't know, but uh, bottom line is um, is I love that there's I love that there's um, the possibility of some Andorian the Andorian job that comes that comes ahead of time. This time tech, Matt, last from me. Is this Tholian? We have a crystal. We have a rather uh, angular ship that is inside of the Gormagander. We have a fourth dimensional species. Did we see the Tholians, but not name check the Tholians? Um, it's only now that I'm thinking about the space, the, the shape of the ship. Um. I'm going to go ahead and say no. My recollection, and I could be completely wrong, my recollection from Classic Trek is though the Tholians were uh, were obviously uh, mineral in shape, I don't remember there being kind of a, a time component, just that they were super, super alien. Um, and honestly, not everything needs to tie back to something else. You know, we've had references to get on a, a, a ship like the Enterprise or obviously, you know, Mud, a, a prequel of sorts here. Uh, we can have new unnamed kind of new life forms and new civilizations. It doesn't all need to be super fun callbacks. So I will say no thank you. With that, let's go to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Pete, let's now share a review that was left uh, somewhere on the international iTunes. And uh, if, you, if you do leave things internationally, please do uh, email us it as well. Because sometimes with, you know, Apple, blah, 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 you can't see the international stuff. Pete, do I see the notes correctly? This is from Dr. Strange Lover. Yes, who is going to be the recipient of our final Starfleet badge. Uh, it's a five-star review, and it reads, the headline reads, Best Star Trek Discovery Podcast in the Galaxy. Um, and Dr. Strange Lover goes on to say, I've listened to quite a few Star Trek Discovery podcasts and uh, really more than I would ever hope, but finally found my destination for the final frontier each week. Matt and Pete do a wonderful job of recapping the episode and still somehow find time to interact on social media. How do they do it all? All caps there. Uh, thanks again, guys. And I look forward to your podcast each and every week. I don't know what I will do during the Star Trek Discovery midseason hiatus. Well, first of all, thank you, Doctor, for such kind words, and uh, so glad that we are uh, that we are here for you each week. Uh, to answer your question, what you could do is check out our pop culture podcast that has not only Star Trek Discovery, but Marvel Cinematic Universe, other geeky stuff throughout the year. And um, but thank you again for all the kind words. We will certainly uh, we'll be in touch regarding the prize. Of course, Doctor Strange and anybody else out there, if you're looking to give back on top of what we give you, you could get over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Everybody who contributes is going to get exclusive podcast content. 
on top of a little thing that Matt and I are cooking up for uh, the next week or two that is going to be a Patreon exclusive. So uh, may want to get going on that. Yeah, it's something that will probably see the light of day outside of Patreon many, many, many months from now. Uh, we want to build up a couple of episodes of it, but we're going to, we'll see one step at a time, but it's going to be Patreon only for, for the time being. Uh, super excited about that. Don't want to say anything else, but, but do want to, uh, do want to add a little hype out there. But Pete, of course, the best of all, it always comes free. It's interacting with you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,601 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, please be in touch with the podcast anytime you want. We are Fantastic Geek. You can visit FantasticGeek.com. Send an email to FantasticGeek at gmail.com. Tweet or Instagram us under, uh, under Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the ph all one word like it today well pete with that if you're listening to us on the aforementioned pop culture podcast we'll be back continuing the singular adventure that is marvels and humans uh this upcoming friday continuing next week with star trek discovery two episodes left for this first chapter uh, but of course, we aren't going anywhere. We'll be continuing on the Pop Culture Podcast and on some of our other feeds with The Punisher, with Runaways, with uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the mothership of it all. The adventure always continues, Pete. And with that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. So I will see you later, or rather, earlier. <laughs>